Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of That 60s Recording Podcast, conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I am your host, Joe Montague. It's Monday evening at 20 to 8, and as usual, I'm leaving this absolutely last minute. Loads has happened in the fortnight since I've spoken to you last. We've, in the UK, we're now in a second lockdown which doesn't affect my family too much. My wife is a teacher and still has to go to school. My kids still go to childminders. I still get sessions in at the studio. In fact, it's been super busy at the studio, which is great. And uh, I've also managed to move house. Uh, So trying to deal with all of that at once has been um, challenging, but a welcome challenge. (laughs) It's a challenge I brought on myself, so I can't complain. I've had an absolute ton of emails from listeners over the past couple of weeks as well, which I'm really grateful for. Please keep them coming. I really enjoy hearing from you. So this week, the last two weeks, I've had emails from Australia and America. I know we have lots of listeners over in America and we have uh, listeners all over Europe, which is fantastic. And I'm not quite sure what's happening, but over the last six weeks or so, the, the podcast has grown massively there's been a huge jump maybe it's because people are going back to work and listening more to podcasts I don't know whatever it is I'm really pleased about it please do keep spreading the word and please do keep listening and getting in touch with suggestions uh, and all that kind of stuff you know I'm, I'm here to you know scratch an itch for me but also to serve you guys you know I want to to give you uh, guests that you're interested in and you know this is a it's a team effort even though it's <laughs> it's me that's doing it I, I i want to do it as a you know as a giant conversation isn't it um okay so today i'm continuing the conversation that i had with neil innes from ata records in leeds um he is a as you will have heard in the first episode he's just such a knowledge on all things classic recording and in this episode, I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger at the uh, the end of the last episode, which I know is really, really mean, um, but I couldn't resist. And uh, this episode, he's talking about all the gear, all the gear that he's got in his studio. Um, he's got a lot of tape machines. <laughs> he has a beautiful mixing desk that is a, a Swedish uh, broadcast mixing desk. Um, and you'll find out that it was used to record, it was owned by the producer who recorded uh, a particular album that I'm extremely fond of. I I, I think it's a, a relatively well-known artist. I don't have my finger too on the pulse these days, but he's well-known to me, and, and this is one of my favourite albums. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. Here we go. Because I want to talk a little bit about gear, uh, just sort of hear your gear journey, because there so, sure, yeah. there's so much here, yeah, and you're so knowledgeable about about stuff through trial and error i'm guessing that you've bought yeah 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 things. yeah so when you sort of pre the studio were you did were you you were interested in tape presumably and did you set out to you know did, did did this feature in your mind's eye this is what you wanted or did it just sort of happen this way i like i think i think about that journey quite a bit and i think it's it's uh, i'm not going to say predestined because <laughs> but i've always I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated with making music. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I've spent 12 years in a room with no windows, with terrible air and awful heating, really bad lighting. I'm kind of like, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> and then I think back, and this memory had disappeared for some reason, but I think I was a teenager and I'd in 
a jumble sale, I'd got a reel to reel and took it home and for some reason took it up to the loft. You know, it's one of those lofts that just the beams and the insulation and I'd got behind the boiler, you know, the the, the water tank yeah. kind of thing and made this little cubby hole for myself and set the reel to reel up and just wow. used to sit in front of it playing guitar. Or do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. So it's, it's like it's always been in my mind. I don't know why. Yeah. As well as being a musician, it's just everything about making music. I've just been fascinated by it. So, like for incarnations of studios. So the first thing that I had, um, I bought a reel to reel. This this is after like when I was a teenager, I had like um, like a Tascam four track. It was a Fostex four track that yeah. I had. So I used to make stuff on that, like little cassette thing. And then when I was in Leeds, one of the things I got, I think I was like maybe mid-20s, and I was playing at that club, the wardrobe, yeah. a lot. You know, so I had my own amp and rig there. I played in so many bands there. And so often I had my own equipment just stayed there. I could make my own coffees behind the bar anytime yeah. I wanted to. You know, it was a home from home. Yes. And I knew the people who ran it very well and I knew the sound engineer very well and I started using the downstairs club as a recording studio during uh, the day and I had a Fostex R8 which is a quarter inch 8 track and I used to make music on that and I think it's because or I don't know if this is a reason I've never really got on with computers I'm, I'm not very good at sort of like reading instructions <laughs> and sort of like understanding and it, and especially like even with sort of reading music, I'm not very good at reading music. So that, that kind of thing of like seeing something and having to work in that way has always just not really worked with me. Yeah. So being able to just press play and record on a tape machine, it does, you know, and, and sort of like I can work in that way. I can yeah. hold the information in my head about making it. I don't need to see it on a screen, Yeah. you know, which is a bit of a byproduct of not being able to sort of read music as well yeah but um so we used to make music down in there and i really wish i i don't have a copy of any of that stuff oh, no. there's so much stuff that i made oh those are some really good things that i made uh, in that and so i just used to make it on the r8 right yeah. and people used to take they would just laugh they were just like piece of shit what you do that <laughs> you know like because at that time everybody was using computers weren't yeah, they and yeah, sort of yeah. getting that way around and i've got some great record i've got a few that i kept because i made some albums on yeah. that in there cool. that you know sort of went on to be sold and things like that yeah. you know um so i had that for quite a while and then we we found this place and i made some music in here with the, because see with that r8 i didn't have any preamps a really good older studio owner engineer lent me two neumann m149 valve mics Okay. Right. Oh, he yeah. was. He's and still is. He's a good friend of mine. He's such a generous guy. His name's Bruce Wood. Great sort of studio. And he I've used worked to, with Bruce. Yeah, Bruce yeah. is lovely. But Bruce, he's just so generous. Like if anybody ever needed anything, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, borrow borrow this." Yeah. So he just used to lend me. Like Amazing. I think I had them for six months. Wow. Two, not one, <laughs> two like Neumann valve mics, wow. and. So we've got recordings that we made with them, um, with a guy called Eddie Roberts. Yeah, yeah. The sort of like new master sounds. We so we did a jazz project. So there's guys around that, great players, and we'd made stuff with 
these two mics, no preamps, and the four sticks, and Eddie went away and mixed those albums, pressed them up and sold them. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's very little equipment there. The mics were great. Yeah. But aside from that, there was... And the players were phenomenal. Yes, guy called Gordon Kilroy on drums. Yeah, he's just yeah, fucking amazing. So you stick it again. You stick a couple of mics in front of that guy, and you're like, off you go. Yeah, yeah. So we did a lot with that. Then after that, um, I I don't know how we came about sort of wanting that. Bob asked me because I was friends with Bob, and he was kind of like, oh, I found this place. Do you want to go in on it? So after we started that, I just started le- leveling up <laughs> sort of equipment. So yes. it was kind of like we got rid of like got rid of the four sticks, and I got I think next was a Tascam uh, thirty eight and a half inch eight track, I think it was, and this <laughs> rubbish desk. Like I've been known to drive all over Britain and sometimes out of Britain <laughs> for pieces of equipment which yeah. is one of my favorite things to do <laughs> it really is um so I, I think i had to drive to bristol to get the soundtracks desk again nothing sort of special made some music with that that was nice and we have uh there's a guy in leeds called roy harrison who is uh an amazing sort of uh tech yeah he's in his 60s and he's just everybody knows roy he's he's wonderful and roy used to sort of started fixing these things for me and as we were doing it, Roy used to kind of be... I have this voice that I use for Roy, but it's not his voice. <laughs> I don't know why. But he, he was kind of like, uh, oh, you want to get a serious desk, do you? Sort, sort of thing. He's yeah. like, he doesn't talk like that at all. <laughs> and it, and he's, kind of, he's kind of like, oh, I, don't know, I know somebody selling it. You know? <laughs> so, um, so very quickly, we ended up with um, this Otari 1-inch 8-track, which I really wish I still had. It's yeah. such a... Again, why, though? Do you know what I mean? I've got a one-inch eight-track there and a one-inch eight-track through there, <laughs> but it was just—it was just such a joy to use. It yeah. was so easy. And then once I got the one-inch eight-track, because there's a serious bit of gear that Roy was kind of like, "Well, you know, you need a serious desk." And I was like, oh, "I don't suppose you know anyone sit?" Oh, I, I do actually. <laughs> <laughs> I drove to the Isle of Man for that desk. Wow. <laughs> um, so I, I got a Soundcraft uh, TS12. Um, was a huge kind of console and I used to phone I used to just phone studios like I've got a really bad habit of just badgering people yeah so I found some studios I had a book I can't remember what book it was but it just had loads of studios listed in it I just started phoning studios and I was like don't suppose you got any uh, old analog gear do you <laughs> right and here comes the the voice again which I don't know why I just assign <laughs> it to old older sort of engineers I phoned this place in Hull called Fairview Studios. Okay. I don't suppose you've got uh, any old... Uh, oh, I haven't at all, actually. <laughs> um, so, like, this guy had, which I've still got, my reverb, my one of, one of my reverb units, which is, like, an AKG BX20, which is a spring reverb that was meant to sound like a plate reverb. Okay. Sold me that for 400 quid. Wow. You, you know, it's just, like... So that the only way I've been able to get stuff is be a bit canny and put a lot of effort into hunting yes. for the equipment because there's no way I would have been able to afford. Like, I've seen how much those things go for now. Four grand. Four grand I saw one. I'm just like, you're kidding me. Like, it's not... Is it worth it? It's not worth four grand, you know. Yeah. But that's how much people are going to try and sell it for. Yeah, yeah. So I guess... I kind of wish I'd known a bit more about analog gear earlier because that was that period where everybody had got... Like, as I say, a lot of my friends 
at that point, older ones who ran studios thought I was mental. Yes. They're like, why are you doing this? Why are you buying all this old gear? Now they sort of, you know, kind of (laughs) understand a bit more. So after I got the Otari, I made some albums and I got some preamps from a place called um, Audio Maintenance, which I think you might have bought. I have an ALL pre, yeah. Like, just just go to audio maintenance. Do you know what I mean? If you yeah. if you're starting up anything, you know, handful of audio maintenance. I remember what Roy said to me. He said, "If you can't make a good record with that, you're fucked." <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Amazing. it was just like you know, if you can't get what you were looking for with those preamps. Yeah. So very early on, uh, because Roy Roy was kind of like, "Well, you just want the shortest distance from the preamp to your." thing yeah. so what i used to do is I, I had four aml preamps which are a clone of a neve 1073 yes. which really opened my ears once i started using them because i was kind of like wow like the the equipment does much more than just you know amplify the signal it feels like you know it compresses at times and stuff like that um and for most people when they're asking about where what should i buy that's why i'm always like start with a good preamp because that good preamp just made so much of my gear sound really good. So I go straight to the tape machine and then monitor everything off of the tape machine through the desk. Yes. So although I had not a great quality desk, it didn't matter because I was just going from the AML straight to the tape machine. There was yep. nothing in the way. Um, so so we do that. That's what we do. After making an album on that, uh, which was a really great time, sort of I spent nine months making you know, my opus. With a friend of mine, yeah. the singer, this songwriter, me and her, just made loads of great music together. Loved working with her. That's when I started thinking to myself, it's still not sounding like how I want it to sound. It sounded great, but it wasn't how I wanted it to sound. Yeah. So that's when I uh, ended up hunting down one of those tape machines. And again, Roy was a bit like, do you want to run a tape machine museum or do you want to record music <laughs> because you're buying you know, a money pit there. Yeah. And it's been a pain in the arse. So then, then from there, you know, with that tape machine, I heard a lot of good things back that I liked. And I just, from that point, then started getting some, just buying more serious stuff. Yeah. Like buying this mixing console was a huge, huge thing for me. Yes. I had to do so much wheeling and dealing to get this sort of money together for this. Really? Oh, Yeah. But it all came together in a really sort of uh, serendipitous way, really getting the money together for yeah. this. But it, it was it was a lot of well, in my terms anyway. I'm sure for most for most like proper studio owners, it's just like well, that was cheap. Yes, you know. But he ain't got. As <laughs> one of my mates' dad says, you got to have credit to have crunch. <laughs> you know. So for like like for people like us, yes, it's a lot. It's a big investment, but. Again, the the difference to what I'm doing, you know, or or the the end sort of product of what you achieve with yes. that is just because I like as you develop, you know, your ear develops as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. even the way that we listen to the music that we like is really not good enough. Yes. Like I've got, a, I ended up treating myself to a good stereo setup at my house, yeah. which again, you put music on and you go. I've never heard that line yeah, before. Yeah. Why have I, like, so that that's one of the things that I started realizing. It's like all this music, you know, it's just being squashed into a way that we're not sort of listening to it as it intended. Mm-hmm. And my God, when you've got like 
great speakers and a great room and great amplifiers. And I mean that with studio and at home. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, because that's one of the things I realised recently was when I got I got a leak valve amp at my house, an old one, with a really nice pair of Tannoy speakers. Uh-huh. And the, before I got the Tannoys in, in there, you put on a record and you just like... I, it moved me really in well. such an amazing... Like, we put on uh, The Harder They Come, Jimmy Cliff, right? And I almost cried because I could hear everything. I, could, I was in the room. Yeah. And I was like, shit, you know, like... Not that I'm listening to it. Like, if you don't have... Like, I was kind of thinking to myself, so it's all music like this then, actually. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like all all music, just incredibly 3D and... Yeah. D- and it's like... Oh, it kind of is actually. We just don't get to hear it in that way. So I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, how can I make music in that way if I can't hear it in that way to begin with? Yes. So at the moment, like one of the things I was telling you when you arrived, I'm yep. doing a big refit. Yes. And I'm, I'm doing again another level up of equipment because it's like, I, like there, there's that, there is a joke that it, it, I, for some reason, I didn't hear until only a few years ago. Probably because it's a fucking dad joke, you know. But it's like, how do you make a million pound studio? Start with two million pounds. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it is a bit like that. It's a, it's like can of worms, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. the more you know, the more it's going to cost you. Yes. You know, or that, or that's often the case. So it's kind of like, at the moment, my studio is not conducive to making good music like mixing takes me far longer than it should i've got many tools to help me as in like an expensive pair of headphones set of speakers french studios that i go to to listen to it fuck that it shouldn't be like that you know like so i'm investing in a much better set of speakers i'm taking a wall down so i've got more room you know so i can acoustically treat the room better but back to that thing it's kind of like if you want to make those records you know sound good surely you've got to hear them in that way first or they'll never sound like yeah, that yeah you know you ever like have you ever got into that thing about you know beatles in mono i i mean obviously i've listened to the records in mono and in stereo and yeah it's it's different isn't it it's a, yeah well they, they spent record. more time on the mono yeah. mixes for one but like i knew i spoke to this guy <laughs> i was on an, like at someone's birthday right and this get this friend of mine that I hadn't seen for ages. We were talking about stereos, and he's like, "Oh, you've got to go. You've got to meet my mate. My mate. I can't remember the guy's name, but the <laughs> they had a, they had a club met yeah. two members uh, called the 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 Mid Appreciation Group, <laughs> right? And it's all about mid band, yeah, right. And this guy had just got a Garad. I think it's pronounced Garad three hundred one record deck. You know, very expensive yeah. record deck that he had a mono shell for." Right, and it was just like he got a, a pressing of the Beatles in mono, and he was just like, blew his fucking Whoa. mind. He was just like, I can't believe how good it sounds. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's madness. Yeah. yeah. So th- th- again, there's another kind of worms there. You know, yeah, no, I, and yeah. like, who's got the time? You, do you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like. I don't have the time, but it's just I'm obsessed by it. That's, that sort of sums up ATA as an as an entity, doesn't it? Like the, stubborn obsession. Uh, yeah, but you're selling. You know, you're making music in the way that you've described. Yeah, and you're selling it. Yeah, in a medium that yeah. that honors the way that you've recorded it. Yeah, I mean, you can download it. Yeah, and uh, I I buy the CDs off you. 
Yeah, but I, but I want them to be as good as well. And that's the other thing is sort yeah. of like, you know, sort of not compromising. You yeah. know, so the digital is, you know, well, I don't know. It's hard for me to judge, I guess. But presumably you've got a loyal fan base of, uh, you know, there's guys like me who just like mm. your music and I, yeah. you know, I want to consume it in whatever way is convenient for me. Yeah. But you, you will have a, a, a percentage of your fan base will be audiophiles who buy the records and yeah. listen to them in the way that you're in t- you're discussing right now. Yes, yeah, which which is great because there, there's another uh, thing that we haven't got to yet as a record label, but it's on the slate for us to do. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by this. It's the real to real market, and the thing that they're into is getting a copy of not like a second or third generation copy of the master reels yes right and knowing what i know now you know about how you listen to stuff on you know when you get a good stereo and good amps it's like getting a reel to reel and listening to stuff from that because like as i said it's a destructive process almost each time you take it somewhere else yes so some of my favorite listening experiences is straight off of that the two inch tape machine like i like as you can see at the moment the studio's in a mess in it because i am getting sorting it all out yeah i've got a shit ton of like old reels through there that i'm kind of like what's on this and i've been posting on instagram like an idiot every, like i'm supposed to be tidying up but like every time i hear something i'm like i'm like oh listen to that because it sounds so good yeah, off, yeah. off of the reel so yeah that audiophile market is really fascinating fa- it is fascinating but I've again the it's groups on facebook of them playing the reels yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting but sometimes i do tape transfer yes as i was saying before and I get master reels here that, you know, from old recordings. We had this guy called Nick Kamen, who's like, you might be too young to remember the Levi's advert where the guy takes his jeans off in the laundrette. Oh, no, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah, so yeah. he was, it turned out to be a pop star, that guy. Ah. Nick Kamen, his name was. Okay. So I was transferring his master reels. You wouldn't believe how good they sounded. Really? Oh, the, and again, it's that era of players, you know, like, uh, like Michael Jackson's 80s, you know, sort of players, yeah, you know, yeah. that start, you know, Tune from start to the end, no faults, bang, off you go, yeah. great Moog bass, you know, every, yeah. everything's amazing. Yeah. Listening to those reels, it blows your head off, just the kind of the depth, the quality of it. So every time you kind of take it to another medium, it's possible that it, you know, again, just devote, you know, a little bit's taken away almost, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of thing. But again, it's, you know, how can people... No, it, like it took me years to get a stereo that I wanted, and that was me sort of relaxing my kind of quite strict sort of purse strings, yeah, that yeah. have had to be put in place to afford doing this. Yes, you yeah, know what I mean. I and the, you know, so it's just like again, it's kind of like, does it all matter? Maybe it doesn't, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, a tune's either going to kick or not. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's either going to make you move, make you you know whatever, and. The, that journey further down to you know find the nuances or whatever are are up to the listener you know or up to the person and you know yeah. I'd, I'd you'd hope that communicate either anyway yes. like i said back before when i listened to like maybe i didn't say this but that r8 you know listening to when i had just two brilliant like these great mics and that was it those recordings sound fucking great yeah i'm yeah. kind of like what the, you yeah. know I've got that one somewhere. Like I've just got one of that, right. and it was just a trio: sax, double bass, and drums. Oh, and cool. it just sounds so good. And I'm just like, you know, yeah. Why? <laughs> it's yeah. It is. It's mind-boggling. It's it's percentages, isn't it? You know, the little percentages. You know, I I I think it does matter. Yeah. Personally, and um, 
it's you know the, the the sort of thing that is going through my mind right now is what you were saying earlier about working straight in the sort of a in logic or mm. tools or whatever or going straight through into into like digital conversion yes um, with, <laughs> like pre uh, before you know not now like not going through a preamp or anything yeah, like yeah. first it's all those little percentages yeah all, and yeah, yeah very expensive percentages oh yeah that do make the difference me and my mates laugh you know because like every decision did it we've probably laughed about this so it's like every decision ends up costing you like upwards of sort of 500 to a thousand pounds <laughs> exactly like, oh fuck well, this is it like olivia my wife used to to curse when i come and visit you because every time i come visit you i'd go home and want something else so. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all been worthwhile but yeah you, you i think you're, you're totally right and it is it is worth it um just on a slightly different subject, I'm interested. In, I think I think it would be interesting to hear about this desk because it's a very cool. Oh yeah, thing. and and it is it's quite interesting. Like the the desk itself, um, it's from so it's it's built uh, by Swedish government. You know, so there's no no brand. It's kind of like you know how all EM, like the reason you have an EMI desk, yeah, is because there's no companies that were making mixing consoles. Yeah. Mixing console wasn't a thing, if you know what I mean. So it's like EMI made their own mixing consoles. Yeah. Decca made their own mixing consoles. Pi made their own mixing consoles. Because okay, yeah. you had an in-house people who built that yes. for you. Yeah, yeah. Because Soundcraft, or like that's the first one that popped into my head for yeah. somebody. Or Neve, for example. You know, he I can't remember where he started off, but you know, the BBC had early Neves that weren't called Neves. Yes, yeah. I think I might be wrong. But um this console is by Swedish radio. It looks like what you'd imagine Swedish government issue recording yeah, desk would it's, look like. It's, it's gunmetal gun grey. <laughs> it's built like a tank. Is it's it? an incredible console. So it's, uh, again, it's like where, and I've often had to do, do this a lot, and it's a great thing to do, find out the things that are just as good as the expensive things, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the trick I've kind of learned with a lot of stuff. Like I have a lot of Russian stuff. You do, yes. That is amazing. You know, but like the the mics that I've got, like the comparable mic is thousands of pounds more. So I know which one I'm buying. Yeah. You know, or I know which one I can buy. Yeah, yeah. Um so the mixing consoles by Swedish government and one of my one of my mates was kind of going on if it had EMI on it, you know, it'd be a very, very different price tag because it's sort of comparable in quality yes so it, it sounds it's a germanium transistor console that's another interesting sort of part of it which is something again like i won't go into it too much because it's i'll just go on for ages but about distortion for example or palatable harmonic distortion so like you've heard of a germanium fuzz pedal haven't yes. you? you know so, so germanium transistors have a quality which they when they overload they'll compress your signal in a palatable fashion yeah you know that that's nice to the ears yes you might have seen you know when we've recorded on computer here that you can make the drums just look like a fucking flat yes flat thing because yeah. the desk will just compress it for you yeah you know so again that's why the desk does a lot of sort of the work for you if you yeah. know what i mean so yeah it was made by swedish radio and when this desk came up for sale i got an email from three different people <laughs> the day it came up for sale just going here you should have this desk. Amazing. This is what you, you know. And one of the people was a guy called Jim Dowler who used to work in Olympic Studios. Okay. Who knew Keith Grant who set up Olympic Studios. Yep. Again, back to the quality of 60s recordings. Go and check out um, The Peddlers uh, on a clear day, okay. which was recorded by Keith Grant in 1964. 
at Olympic, and you, you're just you listen to that and you go, what <laughs> did they have then? You know, I've talked yeah. to people about this, and again, it's something I can fucking rabbit on for hours yeah, about. Yeah. But Keith's console, you've heard of Helios consoles, haven't yes. you? Yes. So Keith uh, Grant's console in Olympic Studios became Helios consoles, right? So it's, yeah. in, again, in-house. So Olympic Studios' in-house console was Helios, yeah. but it was made by Dick Swentnam and Keith Grant. And the first console, which it, I've got some brilliant pictures of it that I'll show you at some point. Yeah, I yeah. don't know how they got into my hands, but they did, <laughs> right? Um, was a germanium console. Because germanium transistors were used in the 60s before silicon transistors came in. Again, silicon transistors, almost like solid state and valve, lack that kind of harmonic, like turning on a tap almost yeah, yeah. distortion quality, you know? So just to run a bit of the history of this then. Yes. Because my my knowledge of consoles comes from the Beatles yes. albums. So yes. when, from what I understand, it was Valve consoles until the late 60s. Not in, not exclusively because okay. Keith's console was uh, not Valve. Okay. You know, so the you, you could still make, you know, like it wasn't exclusively... Um, made out of valves all the, all the way through. Okay. You know, so so yeah, that's that's one I guess I hadn't thought about too much, but yeah, so I I know for a fact, like yeah, like Keith's consoles were never valve, or the Olympic Studio ones were never valve. Okay. I think the tape machine was. Yes. <laughs> but the, the but it would have defined the way that each studio sound. Yeah, they, definitely. The like the consoles again, if you look at that Great British Recording Studio, they they all kind of yes were defined by that equipment that they built, like uh, sound techniques. So. Jim was a technical engineer. He went to uh, uh, Ireland yeah. afterwards, I think, which had Sound Techniques consoles in them. And Sound Techniques, again, defined that kind of 70s British, late 60s, early 70s British folk sound. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. like like um, uh, Nick. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Never mind. Yes, those people. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, so it's, it's a very sort of like well-known sound, even if the names escape me. Nick Drake. Oh yeah yeah, 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 you know, so like Nick Drake stuff, yes. you know, things like that. Again, it's a very like sound techniques that yeah, console yeah. kind of sound. Um, or if like Vic Keery, who went on, like who I've spoken to quite a bit, who went on to make Thermiotic Culture, that equipment, Vic is Valve Town, like he's not interested in anything but valves. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, this is uh, came came from there. So what year is this? Nineteen sixty eight. Sixty eight. Okay. And um, it's built like an absolute tank. It was built for TV and radio, as you can like you can't see under all that gubbins. But I've got relay switching there for studios. So basically, if um, as I say, it's totally over engineered. So in the complex, say for example, somebody was using channels five, six, seven, and eight, they would be knocked out. If you, I think it was something like that to do with. You know, because it was all being fed into a bigger ah. system. So you've got all these relays. Like, if I click, I'll put the desk on. You won't be able to hear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you won't be able to hear this on the podcast. Yeah. Hear that click? Yeah. That's a relay. So it's ah. all relay is sort of like, and that's to do the, that's, I think, probably to stop and start tape machines. Like, look at that. Yeah, it's got to be because you've got like uh, oh. green. It's, it's all in Swedish, so I don't know. But like, <laughs> you know, you know so uh, the, the really funny thing I'm going to switch off because you can hear everything humming yeah. but you um, when I got this desk I bought it from a guy called Paul Butler who did a band called The Bees yeah um, like and the minute I heard this The Bees recordings 
I was just like, this is death for me. Now, the thing is, I there was something else I had heard way before I'd heard the Bees recordings, right? It was Michael Kiwanuka, right? And it's a track called, is it a track called Tell Me a Tale, right? I heard Tell Me a Tale. And in my arrogant little fucking bubble on my own, I thought I was the only person making, you know, the music I was making. And Tell Me a Tale came on. I was just like, what? (laughs) Like, it's just everything, everything I want. It was just such a beautiful track and so soulful and so 60s. I was like, shit, someone's making this now. (laughs) And it turned out it's Paul Butler. Paul Butler made that. That's where I know the name from. Yes, exactly. There you go. Well, because... Michael Kiwanuka is one of my favourite yeah. artists. I was listening to him in the car on the yeah, way yeah, here, yeah. and uh, he is uh, top of my hit list at the moment to chat to for this podcast. Oh man! So I've been researching yeah. who made the, that because Tell Me Tales' first album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to speak. Is Paul Butler on the Isle of Wight? No, he's in LA now. That's why I've got this desk. Uh, <laughs> he moved to America. Right. Well, that explains. Because but I, he he's a lovely guy. He's he? a lovely guy. He's, like you probably well, I've I've got his contact details. Well, let's talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I need to speak with him. So Paul was selling this debt. Like Paul was moving to LA. Yes. So anyway, like I heard tell me a tale and I was just like god that's exactly how I want my records to sound and my records I didn't think were sounding anywhere close to that you know sort of thing and it turned out that that was this desk that wow. the the exact desk that that was recorded on seriously yeah yeah man this, well this is Paul's desk so that's like that's as if yeah so they made the album on that that's mental yeah so like the um so I've got I've got this brilliant email from Paul, which just kind of explains the functionality of the desk because it's like it's all in, in Swedish, <laughs> you know. But it, it's got a, a brilliant sort of quality to it. This desk yeah. and like um, so, there's two other people. There's two other people that have one of the, they're really rare desks. Yeah. And I know someone over in Norway who's who's been like. And again, it's just like you've got to be brave enough to uh, a shy bairns get out. If one of my friends says a lot, you shy bears, shy shy kids get nothing. So in other words, you you've got <laughs> you need a little something like subtitles because yeah. that was that was full on Scottish. You got like one of the best things is just be brave enough to just speak to people. You oh, know, so yeah. I'm always speaking to people. So I tracked out weirdly. This is a weird synergy as well, right? That tape machine, you know, the one inch eight track beside you. Yeah, yeah. If you have a look at the just by channel one up at the top, yeah. there's a sticker on it. What's it say? Oh, this one? Yeah. S-S-F-T. And what does it say underneath? Does it say it? Maybe this is, maybe I've totally fucked this up no, by setting up. Really Swedish, that's a Swedish radio sticker. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so that tape machine yeah. came from this guy in Norway called Matthias Glava. Okay. And it didn't come from him. It came from, a. I bought it, in it from a studio in Wales. It didn't even turn on when I bought it, yeah. but hence the cheaper price. So basically, here's a tip for everybody. If something doesn't turn on that's an analog piece of gear, don't worry about it. Yeah. That's the least of your problems. <laughs> but sometimes people don't know that, yeah. right? Um, so Matthias actually sold that tape machine to somebody. So I got in touch with, I was put in touch with Matthias, um, and uh, he has one of these consoles uh, who he's just sold to a guy in the UK. So there's now three of them oh, wow. uh, in the UK. But Jim Dowler from Olympic, he said to me, this is the closest thing to the Olympic studio desk that you'll get cool. sound-wise. Yeah. Because it's a similar... Like, the Transformers are different. Transformers in that are Lundahl and the Transformers in... Um, uh, no, I'm not going to say what they are because I don't think people are supposed to know. 
but the the transformers in in the Olympic ones are something that would surprise you, you know. But they've been recreated, you yeah. know, sort sort of thing. But they did a certain thing, you know, like okay. And that's the thing, like these things all did a certain thing, yes, because they were all made by different people. It wasn't standardized, yeah. You know the way they wound well. Obviously, like the way they wound a transformer, you know, just round. <laughs> There's not many ways of messing that up, no, but you no. know, like doing it by hand would mean that things would sound sort of different. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, that's that's the sort of the history of of this desk, or or what what ties it in is yeah. it. I found was dead because, as I say, I heard it way before I knew the desk existed. Yes, and my ears just went, yes, please. Yeah, you know, I'll have that. So. By all means, though, it's not the last desk I want. See, this is the thing. There's there's loads of, you know, like I know where Vic's desk is. You know, I've been trying to get that for years. <laughs> you know, but again, you know, they too much time, these things. So this, this desk may end up in my studio at some stage. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and it, like the, the annoying thing I was thinking, or I was thinking about this stuff. Yeah. One of the reasons that a lot of people, you know, you've got to be careful about how you approach this stuff in the sense of, there's very few people that maintain this stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's very, like, I'm not good with, uh, you know what I mean? I don't have a background in electronics or, you know, what I'm all right with soldering iron, but <laughs> yeah. that is the monkey part of the job in yeah. it, you know? Um, so having people to work on these, this stuff is difficult, hence why most of my stuff is broken in the studio. There are, <laughs> there are the guys there, but they cost a lot of money. Yeah. But I'm at the point now where... I'm about to throw a lot of money at my equipment because it's about the next ten years rather than you know whether I've whether I can find the cat or, or whether I want to hold on to a ten tape machines. Yeah. Why don't I sell most of them and make two of my tape machines work really really well? Yes, yes. You know, um, so yeah, that's uh, the desk, and it's in a like I wouldn't say it's in a story state right now, but again, it's like halfway through being fixed. You know, perpetually. <laughs> yeah, I've got no meters. Yes. No meters, and the meters are beautiful for these desks, right? Yeah. But, you know, mine don't work, and they haven't been fixed, <laughs> no. you know? And it's, you know, so it's, it's you just got you got to work with what you got, you know? But luckily, yep. I've got a really beautiful desk, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that sounds really good. Like, I mix through the console. Mixing through the console is just, again, another level up yep. from what, what you do, different from bouncing, pressing bounce on a computer, you yes. know? Yeah. Uh, but I've got a lot of crackly faders, so I have to be quite careful about how i plumb things in <laughs> you know for what's being mixed you know where like yeah you know if you want to pull something up and down it's not channel nine that you use you know <laughs> that one's awful right. you know um just give us a, a brief rundown of the what's behind me yeah because I, I know <laughs> so I, i'm seeing the word fairchild and i know that's gonna to make a lot of people smile who are listening so to i this. i like again like reading that i don't have the book and i'd love to have it recording the beatles i'd love to get a copy of it because i had a an aml if you want to have a read for it go and buy something from aml and just sit in their reception they've, yeah. got, they've got a copy there i happen to know that uh maybe i, I shouldn't say this here but the guys are redoing that book i know they are yeah and i'll, I'll get it when it comes out yeah, should, um, it should be they because i approached them about doing this podcast when when it's up and running they're going to come on and speak to me about that yeah book and they they said it's hopefully going to be late this year so hopefully not too far away i'll definitely uh, be on my christmas list that because even just the first flick through it you can learn so like if you're into that thing you just learn so much yeah. anyway the fairchild is a drip electronics 
FHL. So Drip Electronics are a company in America that read or build circuit boards for yep. this kind of equipment. And years ago, I got it. You know, we call it the better box. I, <laughs> I, I think it took me about eight years. Like, it wasn't hugely expensive because very luckily, the guy who built it for me just wanted to do it. And he was a friend, yeah. and he did it for me for Amazing. very little money. It's a, it's a, it's a involved, it's a hugely involved build, and it looks amazing on the inside. Yeah. Um, and it took me, I think, uh, about eight years to pay the credit card off because <laughs> I had no money. But it wasn't that; it wasn't yeah. hugely expensive. It was just like, yeah, just you know. So that's a copy of a Fairchild. Now, I've never used a Fairchild for real. I don't know how different it is I know it'll sound like my thing with all this old equipment it's in the Transformers I yes. think the sound a lot of the time um, so this sounds amazing I love it we use it all the time like a lot of the time as you were saying you know earlier it's a sum of parts yes you know so why thing, Why do things sound so good well got a really nice mic start with a really good musician got a really good mic uh, going into a really good desk which then comes out of the really good desk and goes into the really nice Fairchild Above the Fairchild is a couple of Pultex. Uh, again, these are uh, AML, Audio yeah. Maintenance in Manchester, who I have to say, like, oh, so affordable. You know, if you're going to be... That preamp, you can buy that preamp. Did you buy the one that you have to build? No, I emailed him and said, I would love to build this. Do you think it's a good idea? And he basically emailed back, and said no. <laughs> yeah, he's quite to the point. <laughs> yeah, um, I've just bought it. It costs a like, hundred quid to have it. Yeah, really so free. my my mate in a mate of mine in Bristol had bought them. Like and put them together. Two hundred quid. Yeah, two hundred pounds for like a Neve ten seventy three, and I, th I think it's the best thing out there. Like the I've spoken to them about. Not that I know a lot about the design, but I just know how in depth they've gone. Well, he worked for Neve, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, I can't. I think he. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how, because it, yeah, but yeah, like, he, uh, yeah, you know, so he, he knows what he's doing, that guy. So these Poltex, I've spoken to him about that as well. What else do they do? Man, I've, it really annoys me because I've spoken to him about the stuff that they've uh, are indeed and haven't built yet. <laughs> and, you know, just got prototypes of, and I'm yeah. just like, well, you, I want, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, please. So again, you know, like, what do these cost? 800 quid? Yes. Each, like I think. That's nothing. You know, because they, they blow anything else. Like, like warm audios, uh, like good entry-level stuff. But I know for a fact they're not Poltex. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like not to diss them or, or anything because they're a great piece of equipment. Yeah. But it's not a Poltex. No, no. The way it's designed on the inside, it's not a Poltex. It's not a Poltex. I'm like a <laughs> right knob there. Um, above this... I love this. This is uh, my amp repairer, who's amazing. I love Howard. Um, built me this because I've got an Ampeg Reverber Rocket guitar amp from okay. the 60s. Yeah. And I love it. I got it recently. Again, research, looking at photographs. Yeah. Like, it's a great soul machine amp. Anyway, Howard redid the amp, which sounded great. And then I was kind of like, oh, that spring reverb is just to die for. He says, well, I've got an old. A tank from an at so he just built me the circuit from an, at from an Ampeg Reverber rocket yeah. and stuck it in a lovely old box How and cool. it's, it's beautiful spring reverb and above that is uh, my Maestro Rhythm King drum machine which is a 1960s drum machine that was used uh, quite a lot of people will know uh, Sly and the Family Stone yep. 
sliding the family stone drum machine. Wow. That's that's what they used on like a riot's going on. Like that's yeah. Do you know what? Can I say like I was speaking to a guy who worked at Olympic Studios as an engineer who worked with Sly Stone, right? And he says he remembers nothing about it. He was there for seven days. He took a line of like he says he arrived at the studio with him and his sister, a huge bag of cocaine and a maestro rhythm kit. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And he doesn't remember much more. <laughs> what a great story. I know. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. He called it the funk box. Lightstone <laughs> called it the funk box. Amazing. Or Larry Graham might have called it the funk box as well. I'm not sure. So yeah, that's that's my tower of stuff behind me. Which I'm hoping to add to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I want to yeah. build have built soon, actually. Of... Is that some EQs? Are they, am I right in thinking they're your drum EQs? No, they're, they're just, um, again, sort of like finding ways round thing. The desk itself is very... So that's another thing about 60s recording. They had very limited kind of EQs on a lot of, yes. of stuff. And you're kind of like, how did you get things? That was my, sorry, that's something I meant to say about that Peddlers album. I know what EQs are on that desk. And you're like, how does that recording just sound so perfect yeah. and so good? Anyway, these are EQs that are, again, unfortunately not cheap anymore. You know, but they, they come from, um, I think at a certain point in in uh, Neumann, what do they call that when they, they put their, their schematics up? Outsour- open sourced. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, at yeah. a certain point, I think a lot of that Neumann stuff was open sourced. So these are sort of, um, I don't quite know, they're kind of more Eastern European. Okay. Like Lau, L-A-W-O and B-F-E. So they're direct copies of, like, I think it's uh, Neumann W4 something or other EQ yeah. module. So it's like a Danner module. These would fit in my desk, actually. So anyway, I, I just got them, and I've got a really good tech, and he just boxed them up. So they're really good param- parametric EQs from the 70s, and yeah. they're just really useful because I've got a lot of faults in my room yeah. sonically, so I have to kind of be... I've got a lot of faults in the mixing room too. <laughs> um, so I have to be quite careful. You know, I need I need some surgical EQs at yeah, the moment yeah. to remove those sort of boomy things. So the reason I use them is because the tom drum will resonate, like the sort of standing wave is the same as the the sort of 13-inch yeah, right. tom. Yeah, so you yeah. hear on a lot of my early recordings, doom, gung, gung, gung. <laughs> you know, so I, mean, I love the sound of it. Actually. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool, but it's it'll peak right out. You yeah. know, sort of thing. So that teams that down a little bit. I think I'm going to have to take some photos to put on my Instagram so that people can see some of this Five stuff. pounds a shot. <laughs> Bargain. <laughs> if it helps pay for some more gear for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, gear. I think, uh, I think we should start wrapping it up. So okay. we... Uh, th- I, this is certainly going to be a two-parter. That was not my cool. intention, but you've... Uh, <laughs> You're so interesting to listen to. And uh, we've already discussed that um, I think it would be quite fun to come back and do some sort of more specialist Yeah, that'd be really cool. I'd love to do that. Yeah, so now people have got a good idea of who you are and what ATA is. Um, We can sort of start trying maybe pick your brains about a couple of particular areas. So if if that's something that if anyone's got any uh, ideas, they can uh, message in and do that. um, Excellent. We were also discussing that you have very kindly offered a discount code for yes. your records. <laughs> I floated that as an idea yeah, to well, my, I think my man, so I, I that my uh, label partner. So that's probably, yeah, I, I thought that'd be a great thing to do if anybody was interested in sort of or wanting any of our catalogue. Yes. It'd be dead nice to do 
some something like that maybe I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll iron it out and then by the yeah time let me you... know uh, this will be um we're, we're recording this in uh mid uh, september. mid september so this will probably be, be out late october so you've got a bit of time cool yeah um, we'll that. so then but i mean i know that a lot of the guys who are listening to this now uh will probably be beatles fans going mm. by what uh what i do um but one of the one of the reasons that I was keen to speak to you initially is is just because it's an a, an area of sixties ish recording that yeah. I'm not as familiar with, and I yeah. wanted to you know I'm I'm aware that sixties recording isn't all the Beatles, although yeah. <laughs> you might you might think it's that sometimes, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I know that if even if you're a Beatles fan, I would urge you to go and check out ATA record stuff. It's on Bandcamp and there's things on Spotify and things, isn't there? The Beatles were very into soul music. Yeah, they were. They were. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, the sound that you get on records is unbelievable. And the players, it's it's like you've you've got a community here of yes, good players. Yes, totally. But also, like, like I'll say that as a joke, but like... John Lennon just wanted to sound like Little Richard. Like oh, yeah, the the, yeah. the whole thing about sixties recording is like what a lot of people, or I don't think it's it's overlooked, but it's how much of a just the black music, yeah. black music, it's black music, black artists. The Beatles wouldn't have been around if it wasn't for black artists. Yes, yeah. The Stones wouldn't have been around if it wasn't for black artists. You know, and a lot with all this stuff as well. They they led that sort of wave yeah but yeah. they just never got the credit for it or you know they they never got recognized in the same way if it wasn't for black artists yes we wouldn't have what like black artists i feel that is you know modern music you know do you know what i mean i do yeah that was 100%. set up yeah from from that you know it, it's it, it absolutely and it's uh it's again like it's 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 almost i know about that kind of like Little Richard and uh, yeah. all that kind of thing. From Who's the baddest motherfucker he around? He really is. Like, I, man, I love Little Richard so much. But you I, know. I've only got come to that through the Beatles. So what were the Beatles listening to? Yeah. And then I bought all the You albums. know he was a drag artist before he was... I did like, know Like, he's that. the toughest motherfucker. Like, imagine being, you know, first of all, living in America as a black man at that time, as a homosexual black man, as a drag artist... You know, yeah, it's just the cut. Like honestly, the more you find out about that guy, you're just like, you are cool. Yeah, it's like, and some of his tunes, like singing like that. Who sings like that? Un unbelievable, absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it, he's he's insane. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> he's great, and he? yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, all, all uh, the, the the sort of crux of what I'm getting to is even if. Uh, Sort of, you think funk and soul or whatever is not your thing. Go, go and listen to some of the stuff that you're making. Loads of Hofner bass. Oh, yeah, there <laughs> got loads of Hofner bass on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a photo of that as well, actually, because that's, that's a gorgeous uh, my, thing. That is about my fourth one. The one that I had that was the best got stolen from oh. my car. So just uh, obviously this is a podcast. So just describe it. Well, yeah, th <laughs> this is a, a Hofner Senator bass. Now, probably more akin to um, what Stuart Sutcliffe yep. was playing. Uh, like you can see it in the pictures actually it's got the same toaster pickups yeah yeah uh, which is slightly different from uh, McCartney's one so McCartney used a violin bass yes the violin version but I can't afford a violin bass <laughs> right so again it's like picking up these tools you know something like a, a Hofner bass yeah it's quite synonymous with a lot well especially because of the Beatles yes but you know you know yourself it wasn't always a Hofner bass on that no nope. but um 
it, there's a lot of these tools like that Hofner bass just sounds the one that I had ugh, I'll never well it'll turn up one day yeah. but I got nicked out of the back of my car um, and there's more about that as I won't bore you but um, <laughs> so the Hofner Senators for example you pick up for 300 quid yeah. or you used to be able to whereas if you want a violin McCartney era sort of Hofner Sky's a limit. Whatever, yeah, it's you know, it's sort, of, sort of price-wise. So yeah, this is a beautiful Hofner Center that I that I got, uh, and it's the best one that I've found so far to replace the one that I got stolen. Oh, yeah, well, it but is, it looks nice, doesn't it? It's it a nice, absolutely nice does. looking base. It really is a nice looking base. But yeah, there's plenty of stuff that I've. In fact, the um, I the flip side of the forty five that we've got out at the moment, I have nothing. I recorded on that bass. Oh, cool! Or not that bass. Sorry, the one that got nicked. It's just got uh, that woody, spongy, yeah, sort of bass sound. That's really nice. I can hear it. Just the, yeah, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, it's just lovely. <laughs> Incredibly fragile, though. They can be. <laughs> yeah. necks are often snapped off with those. Um. So where yeah. can people find out about ATA? So uh, very easy. Uh, ATA Records. Dot co dot uk is our yep. website or you can search for us on Bandcamp you know um, both of which you know are, are great places to go to uh, obviously go to our website because yep. you know but Bandcamp are an amazing place as well so I you will know, um, you find your music through there I'll put links to all of everything that's, in the that's notes that's great yeah and we just we, we sell worldwide so don't matter where you're listening from <laughs> you can uh, you can buy a record if you want to buy a record or listen to us on Spotify whatever whatever however you consume your music is fine Fine by us. <laughs> but know. it should be consumed on a vinyl uh, in very expensive speakers. <laughs> With tannoy speakers and a, and a leak, leak amplifier, yeah. yes. Um, it's been really lovely chatting to you. And I, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I think, Thanks um, for having me on. I think people are going to love listening to your stories. And I hope this isn't the last time we have we have you on. Excellent. I look forward to it. Uh, and we'll we'll continue talking once I fade this out and it's gone. And there we go. Magic. <laughs> Amazing. Nailed it. What a professional ending. There we go. I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. As I said numerous times, Neil is my recording guru. He's my go-to person for any advice on anything, analog, valve, tape, you name it. Neil's the person I go and speak to about it. Please do go and check out ATA Records' website. There's going to be links in the show notes. If you just Google ATA Records, ATA Records, They've set up a promo code specifically for this podcast, which is on their Bandcamp page. So if you go to their Bandcamp and at the checkout type in recording pod, that gives you 20% off the whole catalogue. I own most of it and it's absolutely fantastic. Neil plays bass on a lot of it and writes a lot of it. It really, really is brilliant. Do go and check that out. I'm very excited because in two weeks time, I have a super guest who is Jerry Hammock the author of the Beatles recording reference manuals. He has a new book coming out, which is volume five, um, covering 1969 to 1970, which is Let It Be um, through Tavery Road. He is meticulous in his research and knows a huge amount about how the Beatles recorded their stuff. And it really interested me as to just how we went about it and then some sort of specific points that come up I'm really excited to share that episode with you. So that will be coming out in two weeks time. As usual, you can get in touch with me at joe at allyouneedisdrums.com or you can visit my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. I am on Instagram at allyouneedisdrums. 
And please do get in contact with uh, suggestions. As I've said before, I've got a list of people that I'm in contact with to get on, but I'm always uh, open to suggestions. I've, a few of the people I've got on have been suggestions. Um, so please do get in touch. Or if you have feedback for the podcast, that would be uh, really welcomed. Um, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music that he supplied for this. And my good friend David Henshaw for the beautiful artwork he gives me every two weeks. I should uh, also mention before I sign off that my isolated drum stems are now coming out weekly. I don't know if I mentioned that in the last episode or not, but if you subscribe to that mailing list, you can do that on my website. I'm now sending, sending them out every week rather than every two weeks just because there's so many Beatles songs and I had a huge glut of them and I just wanted to get them out faster. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Um, so if you're not already signed up to that list, go to my website, allyouneedisdrums.com and you can sign up there. Um, okay, that's it for now. So I will speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I hope it's a good one and I'll see you then. Goodbye! Goodbye!